This is Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 to 13, 11, 15, and 19. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and a third of all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked. And I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blast of the trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Revelation has always been a book that has tested well with popular culture. There are a lot of parts of the Bible that popular culture doesn't care for doesn't pay attention to a whole lot, but Revelation is not one of them. If there's any book that's fascinated, believer and unbeliever, Christian and non-Christian alike, it is the book of Revelation. Now, y'all might remember, I would say a few years ago, but as I get older, a few years gets longer and longer and longer. We could be talking 20 years ago. Um, the book of Revelation kind of got to go mainstream for a little while. Uh, y'all might recall there was a, a series of books came out by a writer named Timothy LaHaye, it was called the Left Behind series. And in Left Behind series, it got popular for a little while, even among mainstream audiences and mainstream people. And, and they got a movie starring Kurt Cameron. Um, I don't know how far the movie series got, but um, it, it, it stalled. But for a while, it was really popular. And uh, Timothy LaHaye, he, I think he did a lot of good work in taking Revelation and, and, and the Word and exposing it to people who hadn't been exposed before. But Timothy LaHaye is a person that I have uh, mentioned, a type I've mentioned before. It's called a premillennial dispensationalist. I'm throwing that word out to you again, and I'm still not going to really get into explaining it because it's really complicated. But one of the things that uh, this, this theology believes in, and we saw it in Left Behind, is the idea of the rapture. And, and I feel like I need to, to, to talk about this and touch upon it because Timothy LaHaye made it very, very popular for for all sorts of people, Christian and non-people alike, uh, non-Christians alike, to believe in the rapture. Now, the idea of the rapture is that 
before any of the really, really bad stuff starts to happen in the book of Revelation. The stuff that we started talking about today with these seven trumpets, the real hard, difficult tribulations. Before that happens, every good, God-fearing Christian is going to ascend into heaven. God's just going to take them all away and just, and just take, them, take them away. I mean, no matter what they're doing, driving a car, flying a plane, one minute we're a full earthly population, the next minute we've got a bunch of empty shoes hanging around, and we don't know where the people went because all the good people are going to get taken up to heaven before all the really bad stuff starts to happen in Revelation. And that's what we call the rapture or a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I've got to say this is a very appealing idea, very appealing idea. I really, really like this idea that the good people are not going to have to suffer through the tribulations of the end times. But as good as this idea feels, there's one big problem with a pre-tribulation rapture. It's not in Revelation. The pre-tribulation rapture never shows up in the book of Revelation. It doesn't really even show up much in the Bible. There's one verse in Matthew that, yeah, if you kind of look at it through a, a rapture perspective, you can get the rapture out of it, but it doesn't say anything that all the good people are going to get taken up to heaven before the really bad stuff starts to happen on earth. See, at the end of the day, it's a theology that I believe is based on some wishful thinking and a theological problem that a lot of Christians get into. And, and, and it's a theological problem that I get into, and some of us will get into it from time to time. And that's this idea that good people shouldn't have to go through hard times. Good people don't deserve to go through hard times. The wicked, well, I mean, they've kind of asked for it, right? That's what their punishment they get for being wicked. That's where we're raised. If you're good, you get a reward. Just like Nell said, get a little treat. And if you're bad, you get no treat. You get the coals and the switches in your stocking. And that's this idea that we have get stuck in our head. It's so easy to get stuck there that the good people, the righteous people, should not have to suffer. We know the reality is not that at all. That's not the truth. Good people suffer. Righteous people suffer. Sometimes the, the good people and the righteous people suffer more than the wicked, or at least it seems that way. And the truth is when the tribulation begins in this world, when the end times are coming closer and the end times, for lack of a better term, are beginning, there is some of the tribulation the church will avoid. Some of the tribulation the church is going to just get mixed in as a part of collateral damage, and some of the tribulation is going to be directed right at us. And we will be the only ones that experience it. The truth of the matter is that it's in the fires of tribulation that God forges His kingdom. It's in the fires of tribulation that God forges His kingdom and He creates His people. Now today in Revelation, this is the point where the end really starts to escalate. This is when things start really getting bad. Um, last week we talked about the, the breaking of the seven seals. 
And in the breaking of the seven seals, you had a, a certain kind of tribulation and hardship. You know, you had, there was, there was conquest, there was war, there was, there was wild inflation, there was kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling. But this is kind of like human plagues, really. You know, I mean, we do that stuff. We start wars and conquest and cause inflation and, and cause kingdoms to rise and fall. That's kind of like what history is doing and playing out year after year, century after century. Uh, but today... When these trumpets begin to blow, it's a whole different level of tribulation and hardship that's, that's, that's beginning. All of creation is going to be affected. Every living thing on the earth is going to be touched by this tribulation. And even though much of it isn't for us, later on we'll find that a lot of it is directed and it was for the express, express purpose of striking at believers. But even at this part where much of it is, is striking the unbeliever, the believer will get caught in it. And we know as, as it progresses, it's only going to get worse for those who wish to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. But as we face these ideas of the tribulation and even the hardship that's to come and the hardship that we face in our own life, we have to ask a difficult question. Why does the God that we believe in so much of mercy and love and peace and kindness choose ultimately to operate in this way? Why does the God that love us so much allow us to suffer so much in the meantime? It's a complicated question, but ultimately it's through the fires of tribulation that God forges His kingdom. So today we got the trumpets. The seven trumpets are blowing. I only read about five of them because trumpet five and six are very, very long. And I don't know y'all are antsy to get to lunch and everything. I don't want to keep you too long today. But he's blowing the trumpet. And last time we asked about seals or like what the purpose of the seal is. Because it helped reveal us what God's doing in that moment. And we're going to ask the same question. What's the purpose of a trumpet? Why do you blow trumpets? And I mean, first of all, it's to make music, but this obviously, they're not just making music. There's a specific purpose and function these trumpets serve. And in the ancient world, a trumpet was, was used to announce something. When an army was arriving on the field, it would announce the trumpet. When sometimes a general was directing the movements of troops, he would blow the trumpet. But most importantly, when someone very important was entering into a room or a city, a king, an emperor, some really powerful and important person, they were being announced with a trumpet. I think of all those movies, you know, in the Middle Ages, where you get the trumpet with a little banner hanging, they're like, dun, 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 you know, like in A Princess Bride when they announce the king with the trumpet. That's what the trumpets were for, to announce the coming of a very important person, a ruler, like a king or an emperor. And that's what these trumpets are announcing, except they're announcing the arrival of Christ in his kingdom. I want to bring to you what they said, what happened at the seventh trumpet, because this is not my interpretation. This really is what the trumpets are for. They're announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. This is what happens when it says, When the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, if y'all might remember, when, when Jesus was on the world, he talked about the kingdom of Lot, the kingdom of God a lot. He said, but he said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. 
as in it is coming closer and it's real close and it's about to arrive. And, and all through history since Jesus has come, we've understood the kingdom in the same way. It's at hand. It is near. It's drawing closer. It's being advanced into the world. But today, not today, but today that we read, when this seventh trumpet blows, it's not at hand anymore. It's not near anymore. The kingdom of God is complete. And the kingdom of God has arrived. And these trumpets that blow in heaven are announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God in its fullness and in its glory and in its victory. And for every blast of the trumpet, there was a corresponding event that happens on earth. Now, when the, when the first trumpet blows, it, says, it, it really strikes the earth itself, as in the, 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 the vegetation, the trees and the plants and the grass. And it, and it says a third of them gets wiped out or burned. And so you're talking about a third of living plants, the whole world, dying. And um, this could be literal fire, but I take Revelation pretty symbolically and think that maybe this is some sort of blight that strikes the, the, the living plants of the earth and a third are going to be killed. Now, the second trumpet blows, it affects the, uh, the oceans and the seas, the salt water. And it says a, a third of, uh, of the sea becomes blood, which means it becomes deadly. And so it says a third of the creatures in the sea die. So maybe again, some sort of blight or some sort of disease that, that strikes at the ocean. And then when he blows the third trumpet, it's the uh, fresh water that gets affected, the, the, the rivers and the springs. And it says they become wormwood. This bitter star falls into it. And, and it's so bitter that some people that drink it, they'll, they'll die if they drink it because it's become bitter. And um, so something poisons the water. Some kind of contamination gets into the, the fresh water of a third of the world. So it's, it's undrinkable. And then when the fourth trumpet blows, it affects, it affects the skies. It says a, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and the stars is blotted out. And, you know, I'm thinking... Going with the theme of ecological disaster again, some sort of smoke or smog or pollution or, or dark cloud uh, covers the sky so we can't even see the light as much. It's, it's the third dimmer or third brighter than, than it usually is. But these are all just the buildup for some of the really nasty stuff that's coming. And it's getting so bad, there's an eagle that circles around that warns people, whoa, 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 to any is on the earth when these next trumpets start to blast so the fifth trumpet goes off and it says a door to the abyss is unlocked and we're told that this is the door to a place called abaddon which is deep in the bowels of the earth some sort of uh, realm of, of of demons and awful evil creatures and and all these these locusts start coming out of it but they're not really locusts because it, it says in revelation you can go back and read this yourself through um through chapter nine that it's not they look like horses, but they've got the face of a person. They've got hair like women, and they've got teeth like lions, and they've got a, a tail like a scorpion. And it's really strange, really strange alien creatures. And they said that these creatures are given uh, an authority to torment uh, the people that are not sealed by God. And they mean non-Christians, non-believers, the wicked, the unrepentant. So they don't die, but for five months, they wish they could. And it doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but reading this, it seems like it's some sort of demonic force from the abyss, that these, these locusts are, 
coming out of this hole in the ground that's some sort of some sort of demonic force that torment people um seems like maybe a sort of madness that uh that takes people over for a certain period of time that torments the enemies of god but then finally it's the sixth trumpet though that it gets really bad another horde is unleashed upon the earth these look like horses now with lion's heads and tails of snakes that have a poisonous bite and they've given authority to kill a third of mankind with fire and with smoke and with sulfur and if we continue to take this symbolically is this some sort of disease some sort of fever but the chosen are spared those that are sealed by god this is one that afflicts once again only the wicked now all told we're talking about some pretty terrible times some pretty dark times to live upon the earth now we've said that these trumpets and the events that they correspond to are, are, are sounded to announce the coming and the arrival and the fullness of the kingdom of God. But we still have to ask our question, why is God going so over the top with this? Or as my kids would say, why is he being so extra? Why all the violence? Why all the shuddering, all the destruction? Well, there are a few reasons this is probably so, and I'll say the first reason is to get your attention, right? We sometimes worry that when this all starts, am I going to be able to recognize it? I mean, maybe it could be happening already, and I, I can't recognize it. Well, this is not subtle, okay? There's nothing subtle about this. When this begins, when those trumpets begin to blow, you are going to know it. There's going to be no doubt. This is a big sign. There's no wondering, hmm, I wonder if it started yet. We're talking about a third of creation being affected. So I think the first reason is God is going to get your attention because sometimes our attention can be hard to get. I think another reason for the, for the power and the, and the violence and the drama of this is there's also serving as a warning. It's a benefit even for the unbeliever, letting them know your time is short. We've been going slowly for a long time now, but the end is hastening near. And you need to wake up. You need to take stock of your life, and you need to really make some hard decisions. The end is coming. It's time to make up your mind. The time for subtlety is over. For 2,000 years, God has been very, very subtle with his people and even subtle with the unbelievers. But as the time gets near, God says the time for subtlety is done. I tried the carrot. Now it's time to try the stick. One of the biggest reasons for all this in the tribulation is for us. The time of great tribulation is for us, his people. Even though at this part yet we're not targeted, there's, it's impossible there's no way we're not going to get some collateral damage from this. I mean, a third of all green vegetation being destroyed, a third of the seas dying, a third of the people afflicted with some sort of torment and madness. This thing is impossible for us not to be affected, for our food supply not to be affected, for our bank accounts not to be affected, for fear not to overtake us, for riots not to be in the cities. It's going to be a difficult time even for the believers who are not directly affected. And pretty soon the tribulation is going to be directed at us. 
We're all going to get caught up in the hardship of this very hard time, the good and evil alike. It's very much on purpose that we go through tribulation. And I know it doesn't, doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Good people shouldn't have to experience tribulation. And that's what rapture theology is all about. I shouldn't have to suffer through this. I'm one of the good guys. Why am I having to go through these difficult times when I am one of the good guys? We know that's not life on earth. We know that's not life as we experienced and as God has presented it with us today. Good people go through tribulation. Righteous people go through suffering now and at the end of the earth. It's going to be a difficult time to be alive for believer and unbeliever alike, just like it is a difficult time now to be alive for the believer and the unbeliever alike. But it's through tribulation that the church becomes strong. It's through tribulation that we are truly fashioned into God's people. It's those fires of tribulation that forge us into who we are. Not necessarily who we are, but who we're supposed to be. Who God is making us to be. And I hate it. I hate tribulation. Well, you're supposed to hate it. And sometimes it gets so bad I can't, I can't even stand it. Sometimes I, I just feel so bad, not even the, the physical tribulation, but sometimes just the mental and the spiritual stuff. I feel like I'm, I'm going to get broken and I'm praying to God. I'm like, Are you just, do you just want to break me? Is that what you're trying to do, break me? Sometimes God answers back, how can I remake you? Unless first... I break you. And one of the Psalms, it reminds us that the fire is used to refine gold and silver. But adversity, hardship, is how he refines the sons and the daughters of God. It's like making a metal pure. You take the, the dirty clumps of ore and you put it in a fire. Once all the bad stuff is burned off, what you're left with is a precious metal. That's what tribulation does for us, for us and for the whole church. And I'm going to tell you something honestly that might surprise you. The worst time a church can go through and the whole church can go through are times of peace and prosperity. It's the most dangerous times for a church and the most dangerous times for a believer are times of peace and prosperity because those are the times that we fall into error or sometimes even worse. But times of tribulation, times of hardship, that's when we're forged into a kingdom. That is when we're forged into the people of God. When we experience tribulation and we, we, when we experience hardship, we remember what is really important. When we go through those difficult times, we remember what really matters. See, peace and prosperity can be dangerous because we can forget who our God is. 
And in peace and in joy and prosperity and riches, we even forget why we need Him. That little voice in the back of our head saying, you know what? I'm doing pretty good all by myself. I think I've got this life thing figured out. But in hardship, in challenge, in pain, in those times that we feel beaten and broken, there's no doubt. There is no doubt at all that we are nothing without our God. And it's a good thing that He does not let us forget. Because as soon as we forget that we belong to Him, body, soul, and spirit, as soon as we forget that we are nothing without Him, we're just one little step away from being lost. It's through tribulation that God forges us into the kingdom of God. And it's crucial that we don't lose sight of this, not only as we study this book and read through it, but as we go through life. And it's crucial that we do not lose sight of where this path is leading us. He's not leading us to pain and tribulation. He's leading us through pain and tribulation. And He's leading us to the glories of His kingdom. And sometimes we can get too focused and too bogged down in what our pain is now and what we're having to endure now, and we forget where it's leading us. We forget through all of this, God just forging us into a kingdom and making us into a people. We must always remember that this path that we are on is not only the path that leads us ultimately to a place of peace and glory. It's a path that leads us to the home of our Savior. Will it be a hard road? You better believe it. Will it be worth every bit of the hardship we experience when we get to the end? We believe that most of all. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.